This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. Today's episode is a chat with the amazing um, writer, illustrator, comics creator. Oh, gosh, I, I hope that's the right thing to say. Author, Maya Kobabe. Um, I love this chat. And also, you know, other things I love? People that support the show on Patreon. Um, I just had a meet, session, meeting. We just had our Hey, Queeros uh, meet up yesterday. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros. There is a level of patronage where you can join a cool team that meets to talk with each other and has done so for a few years. It's kind of wild. It's cool community. And I also want to thank for the month of August, Jennifer Grindy, Benjamin, Robin Moxley, Beck, Leslie Goditis, Chantel McClelland, Trisha Thalmer, Shelby Cunningham, Rachel McIntyre, Stacy, Tanya Josek, Tina Herman, Tina Herman, Kevin Fry, Jackson Carr, Chloe Vicker, Bobby Dahmer, Audrey Rohr, Ethan Peterson, Katie Gagliardo, Jessica Lustig, Levon Sawake, Liesl Jensen, Fiona, Eliza Dornbush, Mara Barra, Catherine Michaels, Amy A., Danny Elkhorn, B., Aaron Talbot, and Brenda Esposito for your contributions that help this show run. Hey, if you would like to contribute, go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros. We love you. Would you introduce yourself? I always have guests introduce themselves. Yes. Hello, my name's Maya Kobabe. I'm the author and illustrator of the book Genderqueer, a memoir, as well as many forthcoming projects. I use the pronouns E.M. Air. I... I would say my main identifier is non-binary, but I kind of use genderqueer interchangeably a bit. I know that's not how everyone uses it. Um, I also identify as an artist, a reader, um, a person from the Bay Area, uh, a daydreamer, a K-pop fan, multifaceted. Oh, great. Um, I mean, we love K-pop. I, you know, I first of all, Kobabe is like, what a great last name. Thank you. You know, not just a babe, but a Kobabe. Yes. You know, like a babe amongst babes Mm -hmm. a babe in relationship to other babes um but i actually look at this you know what this is this is your book Mm -hmm. i have your book i um i bought it where uh at the bookstore that's in provincetown massachusetts which is called i'm so sorry i'm gonna look it up because i should shout them out actually i think they gave it to me Mm. which i meant to buy it from them and then they gifted it to me and that that was annoying you know what i mean because i wanted to support them but local bookstore yeah but they wanted to support me you know so it was like ah you know it was like it was a real uh i get you it was a yeah, yeah 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 it was a lot of it was a lot of stress. Oh my god, I can't even find what they're fucking called. This is terrible. Oh, women crafts. Mm. Women crafts. Yeah, shout out to women crafts. Um, anyway, so I bought. I was. I didn't buy this. I was gifted this while I was holding my credit card in my hand. Um, but then I realized that, like, I was reading it, and I 
recognize the style of your art. And I realized that I think you drew me years prior. Is that true? That's true. Yes. I, I have that yes. somewhere. Yes. I um, drew a small piece of me fan and art my and you and River around the same time I was drawing this book. So that would put have been late 2018 or so, because I saw you both perform live in San Francisco on a yeah. pre-pandemic tour. And yep. I actually, um, I was just telling Valerie this before we started the show, but, you know, since I Our write engineer. and Our draw... In yes, the phases continue. of my career where I'm writing, I have to focus. I can only listen to music. But when in the phases of my book production, when I'm drawing, I have a ton of hours of the day to listen to podcasts, audiobooks, comedy mm. specials, for example. And I listened to a lot of query episodes while I was drawing Gender Queer. And I also oh listened to... Oh my God, and to, now you're on Query. Now I'm on Query. I listened to your um, rape jokes stand up. And I also watched all of Take My Wife while drawing the book. And so oh I drew that piece of fan art kind of at that same time. And I saw oh you guys. Gosh. And I gave you that fan art. Yeah, that was in the wow. before times. Well, thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. And and good eye know. for recognizing the art style. Look, I can't explain my genius. <laughs> it's just foisted upon me. Um, but it was, it was like, I don't know, that just was, I guess... This is like a sweet, it's, you know, overall, just like a very sweet um, turn of events because that that store, Women Crafts, um, is a place I had heard about from my wife, Katie, mm. who had patronized it a bunch. And I went in there and they recognized me immediately and were like, oh, we just had your book in stock, but like we just sold out the last copy and then they gave me this book. Uh, while I was trying to support them, and it's a book that you had that I recognize the draw. Anyway, what a twisty turny. That feels like queer community to me. Where isn't it cool? Um, I yeah. I often joke that like eventually I will meet like every single other non-binary and trans cartoonist working in the United States, and like I'm getting I'm will. getting there. Like because there are there are a lot of us, but not so many that we couldn't all meet in one human yep. lifetime. Especially because we go to all of the same events, and we are 100. we love the same music, and we're going to the same concerts, and we're supporting the same bookstores, and we're going to the same yep. comedy shows, and like you know what I mean. We're all yeah. circulating in this in this sort of like queer web. Yeah, I mean, the, even the forward is by Andy Stevenson, mm -hmm. who's, who's been a previous on this guest on the show. show. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, so you know, it's all. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I mean, another thing that I say often is like, more people don't start doing stand up at the. There's like people that start. Um, obviously, there's people that start that are younger than me, but the people who are like in my cohort, yes. there's it's not. More people don't join, people drop off over time. So it actually also becomes a smaller pool. Mm, mm -hmm. And yeah, I've like run into folks at, you know, this festival or doing this like mic in the past or now doing this acting work or whatever, but it just, it's a funnel. So it's going to get smaller and smaller. And so eventually I am actually yes, just going you're gonna to know everybody yeah, yeah, that's yeah. actively working. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sure the same thing is true. I yeah. I got told in grad school that if you stick it in comics, that is cartooning, the drawing of comics for 10 years, you will have a career that you can live on. I was told that as a student. And I remember at the time what being- What age were you? Oh, 22, maybe. Um, and I remember finding this piece of advice, both comforting and frustrating. Part of me was a little bit like, oh, you think it's going to take me 10 years? I can do it faster than that. But the other part of me, the Taurus part was like, well, if I just keep plotting at it for 10 years, I'll get there. So like, just got to stick it out. And in a weird way, that 
was true, I would say. I self-published my first short comic and tabled at my first comic convention in the fall of um, 2012. And in the fall of 2022, 10 years later, is when genderqueer started to be like really, really challenged and like kind of blew up. And I was able to like really, I was pitching my second book and it really felt like, oh, I now have enough eyes on my work and interest in my work that I do think I'm going to be able to do this full time for the rest of my life. So Mm. my grad school professor was perhaps correct. And some of that traction comes from um, negative reaction also, which then just from the outside, I've seen like an increase in visibility that has come from, it's honestly the same thing is happening right now with that dude that i mean i can't even i don't even know his name i'm sure i could that dude who has the song richmond north of richmond where like do you know do you know what i'm talking about i do not okay there's a the number one song in the country right now is like an unknown dude who like on youtube um posted a song that is like it's a dog whistle for like right-wing folks. Like it's about like the value of the dollar not being enough, but the details of the song are like super um, spicy. Mm. So they don't have anything in common with your work because <laughs> you're actually just talking about your own life. You're not pointing at other people. There's a lot of like really fucking rude ass things he says in this song, but um people were upset enough by it that it like propelled the folks who want to support it even further. Mm. So instead of just streaming it, folks bought it, Ah. which affects how something appears on the charts. So because there was like a, and it's it's also like a catchy song. So like he's not untalented, Mm -hmm. but I just mean because of the, yes, it's this feeling of like, something having visibility because of the um, space it occupies. In this case, a space that I don't love, but in the case of yours, could you talk to me a little bit about like the how the banned books thing has affected this particular publication? Yeah, I mean, it, it, has, it has really shifted my life in the past two years. I'll try to summarize it a little bit briefly. Um, but for people who don't know, Genderqueer Memoir came out in mid-2019. And for the first two years, it kind of trucked along as a well-received but minor you know, debut book from a new author. It got good reviews. It was very sweetly, very supported by librarians. It won two awards from the American Library Association. Oh, that's nice. It is, it is pretty great. I, I do love libraries and librarians very much um it won a stonewall honor which is for queer narratives and then an alex award which is for books written for adults that have crossover appeal for teens many of the books that have been challenged recently are alex award winners because they straddle this kind of line of is this a narrative for adults or is this a narrative for young people and a lot of debate about whether the content is appropriate for young readers and so my book Yeah, it was like it was doing well. I was very happy with its reception as a minor book from a small publisher, but it wasn't like making national headlines. Right. And then to about two and a half years in, um, in the sort of current wave of book challenges, it was actually right before the 2021 midterm election was when I heard about the first couple challenges it suddenly just snowballed. There were a couple politicians, including the governor of Virginia, who made like 
book challenges and also sort of parental control of um, materials in the classroom, like a real talking point of his campaign. And because he won his campaign, other conservative politicians realized like, oh, this is a potential useful talking point. And I really think it was just like a few challenges just domino affected into other challenges. And it was also the case that there were a lot of copycat challenges initially on initially in the beginning when a conservative parent might read about a challenge in one school district and then go, oh my gosh, is this book in my school library or in my public library? And it would be because librarians purchase the award winners from the ALA. And so when they went to go see it, if it was there to challenge, it was. So in a weird way, I think my book being an award winner is one of the reasons that it has been challenged. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Mm-hmm. The, yes. the yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And keep going, keep I have going. also definitely. Uh, it's just it's been weird times. It just I think one of the things that surprises me the most is just like how long book challenges and book bans has stayed as a real talking point of the media. I'm used to things that go viral um, fizzling out more quickly, but I have had a pretty steady level of like media interest and like challenges and then interview requests for almost two years at this point, which feels like a long huh. time, uh, personally. Um, but yeah, it was basically there were a few challenges and then there were more and more and more and to the point where I couldn't even keep track of where all the challenges I've heard it's been challenged in like over 40 school districts and in the majority of the states in this country. But I like literally can't even keep a list at this point. And and maybe that's healthier. Yeah, maybe it's better to not know. I did, uh, like, for example, take my email off of every single website and social media I had and replace mm-hmm. it with my agent's email. So she filters my emails now, which is great. Um, it's just been very strange. Um, I don't, I don't take these challenges as like a legitimate critique of my work, especially since so many of the people who challenged the book will say openly, "I haven't read the book." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Right. I don't think it should be in the library. So right. this is not like a a useful uh, measure of the value of my work, except that I can say yes. it causes reactions. Um, and, you know, the negative attention, it, I have seen a boost in sales. Like I have seen a, a very large increase in book sales. I've also been invited to be on NPR like two or three times. I was invited to speak at the Library of Congress. I've been profiled in the New York Times and the LA Times and the Washington Post and Time Magazine. And I'm speaking to you. Like it has led to a lot of opportunities and it's helped me gain access to spaces that I wouldn't have gained access to. But it's also like making me so concerned about just sort of the state of where we're at in this country, especially in conversations around freedom of speech, anti-censorship, and like the freedom of queer and trans people to exist and speak in the public sphere. What about personal safety? I think about that too, but I live in the Bay Area. The majority of the challenges are not happening on the West Coast. They are mostly happening in the South, in the East, in the Northeast. So a lot of time, the challenges also feel just very far away from me. Um, Mm. It has been challenged the most. This will shock you in the states of Texas and Florida, Um, Mm. two states that I have actually both been to for book events, but not since before the pandemic. Um, And, you know, I definitely like tried to be like, you know, I change passwords on a bunch of my accounts and I try to be very, you know, careful about what I post online, but I'm not super worried about my personal safety. What I'm worried about is 
uh, the rise of fascism in our nation and just how that's going to affect all of us more than how it's sure. going to affect me as one individual. Um, I I don't I don't debate the um, I mean Jesus fucking Christ the mugshot uh, of our stupid fucking former president mm. came out yesterday. Yes. Um, but I will say that like. If I need to calm myself down, and I don't, I mean, it's your book, so I'm not, I'm not the expert on the feelings here uh, around your own work. But I will say, if I need to calm myself down, something I try to keep in mind is that, like, this debate about school children has, it's, it's, um, it's been something that is utilized. I mean, I think about like busing for school integration. Mm. And I think about, um, you know, the way that the exact same thing, I mean, it's still queer, like queerness, like homosexuality, as opposed to gender identity, um, that I've heard about that being talked about in schools for as much of my life as I can remember, you know? So I think the thing I try to keep in mind if I want to calm myself down is like, this is a perpetual ridiculous argument. Like it's like the, we have to protect the children thing is recycled over and over again and actually has been able to stop progress. It has had very little effect on progress. Like progress has continued as those children grow up, you know? So I I think this is something where like um, the actual space that you're describing has been occupied for a long time. It does not mean that it is, I, w- I would imagine it's very difficult to have one's work exist in that space. I mean, people react the way that way to just, to me too. Like I actually relate in some ways. Um, there's a lot of people that don't want to see me on television. I don't know they why. Just don't want to see, I love seeing you on television. See- oh, that's so nice. They're <laughs> <laughs> very but foolish of them. But yeah, but I know what you true, mean. You know? They, yeah. Yeah, it is such a it is such a strange time to be an out like visibly gender nonconforming person. But that being said, I would not travel back in time to any previous era. Like I don't think there was a time earlier than now that it was better to be specifically a trans artist like making work for the public. Yeah, or that people like looked at books and were like, mm -hmm. we hope (laughs) in the US anyway, we hope all of these are read by all people like that's (laughs) that's historically not been our thing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like the the arc of my life has been one of like, desperately seeking queer and trans narratives anywhere I could find them. And as a teen getting like crumbs, crumbs, you know, like the side character, the one off episode in a show, like the veiled reference, etc. To like now this unbelievable explosion of queer and trans and non-binary like art and literature and music and everything. And like, I remember um, because so I'm in my mid 30s. When I was in high school, it was like the pre Glee era. Like there was nothing. There was nothing. There was crumbs. And then there was a point where I felt like I could keep up with reading like every queer comic that was coming out for a while because there were some but not so many that one person couldn't read them all and now there's far too many for me to keep up with which is amazing like there's more art and there's more stories than ever and I think that that is only going to continue including in the face of backlash and 
we know like that art and stories and narratives have power because all of us have a story about being touched by like a character or a narrative or something that made our identity and our future feel more possible. And that is why is people the, want to oh, challenge them is because they have that possibility. What's the first thing that you, what's the first work you remember reading at that time when you were? When I was a teen, honestly, a lot of the earliest um, queer characters I was able to discover specifically in books were in manga series, um, mm. like translated Japanese comics. I remember, I think one of the first trans characters I ever read was in a series by the author Ayazawa. And it's called Paradise Kiss. And it's a very like melodramatic story about a teen girl who like is modeling and she meets these like fashion designers and they're like trying to Ooh, build a fashion brand as teens. And then one mm -hmm. of the characters in the story is just a trans woman who is also in fashion design. And she has like you know, she's like very beautiful and she's part of the friend group and she has like kind of a tragic backstory, but she's also just like part of this cast of characters. And I think I probably read that when I was in like eighth grade or ninth grade. And it was very cool to be like, oh, this just there's just like a trans woman in this friend group. Like, yeah, of course. Um, mm. So that's one. And and then, yeah, I talk a lot about books in Genderqueer. If you flip through it, you'll see specifically all of the different titles of things I read when I was in junior high and middle school, Boy Meets Boy by David Levithan and Rainbow Boys and all those different series. And like those, like before I had a queer friend group, those books like were my queer community. Yeah. I mean, by the way, I have read it. Just so you know. I'm talking to the reader, the listeners, oh, okay. the listeners of the show. <laughs> I just, I, I know you have, you held it up. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know actually um i have like a little collection of uh of like queer comics actually uh let's see what's in there i know you have interviewed a f like several other cartoonists on this show and and yeah authors. yeah yeah i'm like legitimately into it um it's my like collection is in the other room but i could but a lot mm -hmm. um i let's see i mean I almost want to go get them, but <laughs> you know, everybody, oh yeah. Everything from like Laura Dean keeps breaking up with oh, me. That's relatively yes. recent that I really loved. Um, you know, I think the, f I mean, I love Dyke to, Dykes to watch out yes. for. I loved fun home when it came, well, like when I first found fun home, I was, when my first girlfriend gave it to me. I was, fun I home is mind. probably the yeah. single book that influenced me the most when writing genderqueer. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, just beautiful. And um, even something like, just because it's, and then I, this author ended up writing a book that's like of a certain time that doesn't really hold up, but uh, Ariel Schrag had like some early comics that were pretty cool, just in terms of a, they're like the protagonists are like really young people. Mm -hmm. They're like in high school, um, but eventually wrote a book that is like has some has some real problems um anyway so yeah i'm a fan of this and i think one reason i'm also a fan of this type of work is like yeah i mean it's like scarcity but it's also i think the i like when like sex is drawn <laughs> i think that's pretty cool uh because 
usually it's drawn by somebody who actually had those experiences mm -hmm. where, especially when I like first found this type of work, like that wasn't necessarily true for what was on TV mm -hmm. and in movies, you know? So like just to even see how bodies were drawn was pretty cool. Yeah. And um, also they're not drawn through the lens of um, Hollywood. So like some of the bodies look like bodies in a different way um, that are, there's like a, Bit of a bit uh, a bit more. There's like an author there's authenticity. A, the, less less plastic surgery. Yes, has plastic surgery. <laughs> yeah, more body Which, hair. You know, we all we all we also love. You know, mm -hmm. do whatever you need to. But I just mean less uh, cosmetic. Yes. Uh, yeah. Less Botox. I mean, I think comics are a particularly like good medium. I mean, for for anyone, I'm a big fan. But I think for marginalized creators, for people who have not seen themselves well represented in other mainstream media, especially if you're an author illustrator, and especially if you're writing memoir, because comics give you the ability to portray yourself as you see yourself, especially if that does not quite match how the world sees you. And I know a lot of right. trans creators who draw themselves like the way that they see themselves in, in their mind. So like I drew myself yeah. with a flat chest before I had top surgery because I was like, this is the way my right. body is in my mental image of myself. And there are trans creators right. who draw themselves, you know, in a very fant fantasy version, like a fairy or a, like an animal or even like a toy, like whatever feels like a true sort of like it way to portray yourself. You can do that in yeah. comics and you have a little bit more almost like, um, influence over how the reader perceives you even than you would have in just written text that's a great point mm -hmm. um yeah i mean i was a super fan of uh x-men the animated series for that reason because there were like a bunch of different characters that i felt affinity toward and like i really thought that um you know i really thought that like Jean Grey and Gambit, right at the intersection of those two would be a great space for me to occupy. Um, so yeah, I completely, I mean, I've had that experience myself of, of while not drawing, while not being the, the creator um, of, you know, seeing myself in, um, in drawings. Yeah. Also, I got to voice an animated character. Yeah. And even that was super cool because, um, yeah, because she was a badass with like a giant kind of thick bod. Uh, and that's not something that I am trying to engender in myself. But uh, it was cool to like be in that space and see what that might look like. It's like a different, she was like kind of giant mm. as opposed to I'm actually, I'm like 5'4, I'm very small. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you get to giant just park ranger. embody a different kind of being for a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wear a badge for a moment mm -hmm. and uh, protect the forest, which we love. Yes. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. 
I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. I want to pivot to just really quickly, because I feel like I feel like this is wild, but I think it's true. We've had very few uh, folks who use neo pronouns mm. on the show, like very few. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of who. I can't even recall. I feel like it has happened, but I can't even recall. Surely, in all the who years specifically of show. that would be. Yeah. Me, yeah, surely, and also, you know, definitely not like screening for it. So I, uh, yeah, surely, and hope. I hope also that it has happened. Um, but I think you know when you when you said what pronouns you use. Look, like people in all parts of the country listen to this show, people who might be like less online, you know, there's obviously this is a podcast, but you can find that in the app or you can like, you know, just have it just like comes installed on your phone, yeah. you know? Um, so it's not as complicated as like somebody who might have access to TikTok or who is like knowingly searching for um, info on queerness, mm -hmm. which is how I first heard about neo pronouns. Is like I have an interest in digging into like more specific info as opposed to just like being somebody in say Texas or Florida that's like living their life and it's still pretty radical that they just happen to be dating somebody of the same sex. Yeah. You know, like so there's a there's a big variation in terms of like even info that somebody who lives in the Bay Area might have about our community versus like somebody who lives in North Carolina. That is what I have found in speaking to listeners and also in traveling the country to do stand-up. So I feel like there are definitely people listening right now who don't even know what neo-pronouns are. So maybe we could just start there and just have a conversation about like what they are. And I'm not expecting you to have like the Webster's definition, but maybe you could speak to your own experience. Yeah, I'd love to. So neo-pronouns are kind of any non-binary generally or agender pronoun set that are not the ones that already exist in the English language show, so he, she, or they. Um, Neo-pronouns have been invented multiple times. I, as far back as I think like the 1800s, 1880s, there is a Wikipedia page. I shall not pull it up and quote it. But specifically, um, <laughs> the pronoun set that I use are generally called Spivak, after a man named Michael Spivak, who used them in a coding textbook in like the 70s. Oh. And as far as I know, this man was not queer in any way. He was just wanted his coding textbook to be gender neutral because he didn't want to assume that the person like huh. doing the computer work was male or female. And basically, specific pronouns are they, them, there, but with the TH pulled off, which is a fairly easy, I think, idea to come up with if you're like looking at the English language and thinking, how do we make a new pronoun set out of the ones that we already have? And so I usually pronounce them E, M, and Air, but there's a variation where you say A, M, and Air. And these, again, have been invented like multiple times by like various people over the past like hundred years. Um, and an example sentence of how to use them grammatically is like, ask E what, ask M what E wants in Air T. Um, and then some people also use Airs instead of Air, because it's, you would usually would say like, is that theirs? instead of, is that there? Um, and we're talking about the possessive. That's as much grammar as I'm going to get into. Um, but there are many neo-pronoun sets. You can look them up online. They're, I really love them. 
they are complicated. I will admit that they are. I picked a rare fave. I picked a. I picked a challenge mm-hmm. level pronoun. This is not one of one pronouns, um, but in many senses, like I liked that they kind of demand a question. I like that they initiate a conversation. I wanted a pronoun set that would open up questions about gender and about language and about the way that we use language affects how we think and how we think about gender. And I very knowingly, when I started using these pronouns, which was in like early 2016, I knew that I was going to have to explain them over and over for the rest of my life, probably. And I also knew that I could never assume that someone would look at me and guess what my pronouns were just based on my appearance. But I was okay with that. Like, I was like, I am stepping into this space where I am using language that hopefully is like an invitation to that conversation about gender, about pronouns, about language, because I like talking about that stuff. I am interested in it and I want to know what it means to other people, um, even though they can be challenging. And I have corrected people on live radio. I have corrected people while introducing me at conferences, etc. Like they do not come super naturally. They take a little bit of practice. But also, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have like a very um, careful producer, shout out to Sierra. So like when she texted me, um, your pronouns were like put into the sentence, but mm-hmm. like in a really chill way, like nice. like just like correctly used, yes. but but not like um, parenthetical. We love to see uh, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, like something like, yeah, like Maya has said this about like their schedule or mm-hmm. whatever. It's like, oh, good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sierra, thank you yeah, for yeah. the info. Um, so that's a cool thing that one could do mm-hmm. um, when, you know, trying to have somebody's back. Um, I also think like, you know, I mean, it is because I also know, you know, I know people that like, only use a name mm. like that that is yeah same the, who prefer like, no pronoun no, at all yeah. yeah um and then i when i was like first i i mean this is this is probably around the time that you're talking about making this change yourself um but i feel like i was like what is this and i like did a deep dive and so i like saw mm. some of the sets or like heard like and this person actually just like uses language that, that they developed for themselves mm-hmm. or or whatever that um, correct pronoun was that, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a u- unique mm-hmm. choice as opposed to using a set that's known. Um, so I, I, I do know there's like a lot of openness here. I think the thing that feels like to me, especially challenging is like being in a bigger world, um, like a bigger world, even than being introduced on a panel or something like being on an airplane is one of the number one ways Mm. that I think about being queer because I travel so much for work and it is one of those ones that like if there's like it's like there's so much possible there's so much confusion possible you know um especially if they're like looking at the sheet you know like the flight attendants like looking at the sheet like so um Esposito, you know, like not even saying like any sort of honorific, but just like so Esposito, you know. Um, but I, I'm just curious about like that level of maybe 
I don't know, exhaustion or excitement. Like maybe it's not exhausting. Maybe it's like a thrill. I don't know. But like once you get beyond the bubble of like where it's easy mm-hmm. to make a correction to like where it might be more difficult, like what do you do about that? Yeah. I mean, I think this is something that like every person who's ever shifted pronouns has had to consider and decide, yeah, totally. you know, what what interactions feel important? Where do you want to make a stand? For me, I kind of have these like circles, right? So there's like degrees of like, my family and friends have to get it right, because they are my family and friends, and they know me and they love me and we are in a relationship with each other. And then I will also pretty much always correct people in the my professional sphere. So that includes work emails, that includes, yeah, any kind of event that I'm going to, people like, you know, my agents and my editors and my co-authors, like these people also really need to get it right. Um, and then if like, and then there's sort of like a wider circle of like acquaintances and like I want these people to get it right, but I'm also very patient if they slip up, especially if it's somebody who like I know has read my book and I know supports me and like loves me as a person, but maybe just like doesn't talk about me in the third person that much. So just doesn't have that much practice. I'm like, that's fine. You don't have to talk about me all the time. And I actually don't make that many corrections when I'm with talking to a person with whom I am probably having the only interaction of my life. So this includes anyone who's at a restaurant. Great rule. Yeah. Great rule. Yeah. For example, at the airport, in restaurants, on public transit, I don't care. Um... I but but I also like especially when masked I get like you know sir and miss about equally um neither of which is correct but but also whatever kind of um but I sort of my policy is like I will correct people and I'll start conversations about it when I'm going to be in relation with that person when we are going to have mm-hmm. an ongoing relationship and also when I feel like that person is like receptive to hearing about it and or if they ask like a genuine question and they're curious and they want to know. But I will never correct like a waitstaff at a restaurant, for example, because I it just that's just not the interaction I'm having with that person. And it's more important that they get my food order right than my pronouns. And I don't need to be like a problem customer for someone. If you know what I mean? So that's I do, kind yeah. of, that's sort of the path that I've landed on. And I know that's like not where everyone lands, but I'm like, I don't travel as much as you, but I do travel for work. And I'm like, yeah, when I get to the conference, like the or conference organizers need to know, my fellow panelists need to know. But like the person who checked me at the front desk of the hotel, they don't actually, it doesn't really matter to me if that person knows, you know? Yeah, I think that's, you know, just to say, I mean, and again, it's not like there's a right or wrong answer to this, but like, that's actually a rule that was suggested to me just outside of Mm -hmm. this in terms of like self-advocacy, like in general, uh, a while ago, just like, well, who do I stand up for myself to? And it was like, people you want to have an ongoing relationship with. exactly. If this person Um, is a part of your life. That's really smart. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that's a really good. And then other than that, you like, you know, talk to your friends or, you know, your like outside help or whatever it is, but not necessarily that person directly. You know, one doesn't need to like go back to a person yeah. that I know, ex- like not even like just tangentially mm-hmm. and be like about that, you know. So I thought that was very helpful when that was suggested yeah, to me. That's what I came to as well. And I think that's what you mm-hmm. have to do to kind of protect your energy, right? Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, can I ask you a follow-up question on something you just said? So you said, sir and ma'am are not correct. What is the, in your for you, this is just for you, mm. but like, what is the equivalent of that that you would prefer? If I have to have an honorific, I do like mix MX. 
mm-hmm. would be my preferred. But I also just like don't like honorifics very much at all, period. I don't really want one. Like if you want to give me a title, call me cartoonist. Um, call me <laughs> like I mean that's you know that's what I like mean. Great. Like yeah, I yeah, yeah, totally. I don't know. Again, I'm from California. We don't like I I did not call any adult in my life sir or ma'am or miss or even like Mr. or Mrs. last name at any point in my childhood. And when I travel to parts of the country where that's normalized, I'm like, this is deeply weird to me. Like, I respect your culture, yeah. other state that's not California, but this is not how I was raised. So Wait, I would well, I mean- like, honestly, I would like fully do away with all honorifics were it my choice. But also, I'm like, if someone else wants one and that makes them feel good, I will respect their choice. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about that, that. That makes sense. And I totally understand where you and I live. Um, and then, you know, there's like, I mean, this is these are these will be ongoing things because like the South exists. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think about like racial or ethnic communities where like that it would not be chill to call an adult by their first name even so like i just saw like the spider-man into the spider-verse movie and like there's little moments where miles morales's parents like they meet some of like they meet spider gwen and she calls them by their first name and they're like oh they didn't say you know you know mr and mrs morales and it's just this little thing where they're like hmm i'm taking note of like the level of manners that you have and i was like yeah. i was literally watching that scene i was like that would have been me as a teenager i would have been the person calling my friend's parents by their first names and not noticing their little raised eyebrows if they thought that was oh, impolite yeah. because i was a kind of an oblivious young person oh no i mean heavens yeah there have been situations where i've been at work <laughs> but i feel like i've like I've known that in advance and somehow not fucked up in that exact arena. <laughs> Yet, there's always tomorrow. There's, there's always, always today. There's always today. There's always tomorrow. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, so you are she theying. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly how long that's been in your life. I feel like mm-hmm. I noticed it maybe on like a social media profile of yours, but I didn't notice exactly when it switched. Mm. Probably. 2019 or 2020 um so relatively recently i think that like when um my ex-spouse was my ex-spouse was actually the first person i knew who i had any relationship with at all like even that i had almost heard of who started going by they them pronouns Mm -hmm. and at the time it was like very very unusual Hmm. in our community Mm -hmm. um and i um like struggled with it just from like a language like from a human language perspective i did not know how to talk to people using that like people i did not know how to bring that into the world i like really really struggled um because like even in my Los Angeles progressive community, I didn't at that time know people who were identifying that way. And then certainly take that into like comedy or, you know, it was like, it was extremely uh, not a thing. Yeah. And so I think that um, my first experience with like anybody talking about pronouns was like, was, was, um, pretty like out there and i just say that because 
I think that that meant that I didn't think about it for a long time mm. because, or for a few more years. That's not a long time. A few years is yeah. not a long time. But I just think it was so like, I um, I couldn't even like process what was going on. Um, and then it was, I like started taking theology classes with a bunch of younger people and everybody would ask about pronouns and they would put them in their Zoom box. Nobody was using pronouns that were at all surprising based on how they were presenting. Like there was a real clarity in how these folks appeared on screen and then what was in their box. So it wasn't like a bunch of gender non-conforming people and then like some interesting variations. It was like <laughs> the exact opposite of that mm. where I was like, how is this my first experience with this being fully woven in mm. to culture is that like absolutely nobody is saying anything that would be outside of what would be assumed, mm. you know? Like, That's interesting. So that yeah. was, yeah. So that was very funny. So I had like this sort of like, breaking news experience then i had this sort of like everybody's completely normative experience but they're talking about it um yeah and then i people started asking me constantly after those two experiences ceaseless asking oh okay i also got asked what my pronouns were before i had switched so okay i have two stories about this and like one of them i can also relate to saying you were first hearing out from people who were younger than you. So I was in grad school from like 2013 to 2015. At the same time that my younger sibling, who I'm very close with, was in undergrad. And my younger sibling was very involved in the Gender Sexuality Alliance and sort of queer community at their college. And they got made a bunch of friends who used different pronouns, who were either using she, they, or he, they, or they, them, etc. Yep. And so I'm in grad school. I'm in my I'm so I'm 23, 24, something like that. And I'm hearing about all these like 18 and 19 year olds. And part of me was like, that's so cool. I'm really proud of them. They're so brave. I think I'm too old to switch my pronouns. I'm thinking at age 23. Um, they're It's like, wow, they're really figuring themselves out. But like, I've already made it to grad school. Like, I couldn't possibly switch my pronouns at this point. So it was me looking towards what felt like almost like a half generation of queer folks younger than me who were doing this, that I was like, it didn't quite feel accessible to me yet. But also when I was exactly. in grad school, I had one classmate who is deaf. And so we had sign interpreters in all of my grad school classes, which was amazing. This is my friend Bex, who is also a wonderful cartoonist and fine arts painter. And Bex sent me an email at one point saying, hey, I just wanted to check and see what your pronouns are because the sign interpreters don't use pronouns. So I can't see what other how other people are pronouning you in class, basically. And I was like, what a generous ask. Like, I was very honored. I was like, that is it's so sweet that you looked at me, thought maybe I use different pronouns, were considered enough to ask. And then, and I was kind of like, thank you so much for asking. I still used she, her at that point, but like, I feel very honored to have been checked in on. Um, and then it was only like several years later, three, maybe even four years later that I actually did switch pronouns. But I think often mm. of that early experience of, and my friend Bex is queer and had lived in queer community, had been out as long as or longer than I was. And it was just like, it was just like a cool experience of like, someone checking in on you. Um, but again, like it, at the time, like I didn't have an alternate pronoun answer to give. You know, um, in defense of your book being banned, <laughs> it's so funny because as you like, you bring up educational institutions, I'm like, that is why I was at the forefront of 
that in my group, in my group, it's it was my age mm-hmm. because when this was all happening, I was like thirty two, mm-hmm. you know, and so like I didn't, and I wasn't near um, folks, so like I didn't have access to information. Um, by the way, I absolutely don't think your book should be banned. But what I mean is, educational institutions do actually do provide um, education. Edu- no education. <laughs> Yeah, and also like education, and also like, um, uh, like groupthink and uh, bouncing information off of each other in a way that like we don't get a chance to do. Yeah. Um, later in life, like as we sort of are in, then we start bouncing ideas off of each other about like work projects, mm. but not like the concept of living, you yes. know, or or like how to do like math together, you know. So even in a high school setting. Um, for folks that like don't end up going on to college, like there's there is like a how do we work this out um, amongst all of us that might not have anything besides age in common. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. That like I think once we get away from it, becomes more difficult to just like have access to that type of info. Like that's why then a need for curiosity takes over, or like it, or like a TikTok account <laughs> because. <laughs> after that time like there it's it just becomes so easy to like not have that info yeah it's very easy especially if you go into kind of like a a career that demands all of your time and attention and you end up being around a bunch of people who kind of do the same thing think a lot of the same thoughts etc to like have that exposure to all of those new ideas new thoughts just yeah new, new different ways of being human yeah 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 Oh my god. Wild. Yeah, I mean the other thing that I will say that is so wild to me is like Jesus. I mean just to look at where we are, it's like if your book just had a different title. Yeah. I think about that sometimes. Like And I don't mean I don't mean I don't mean therefore like it would have been great. I just mean like the folks who didn't read it yes. wouldn't even know they were pissed. Yeah. Like that's what's so funny is like if it was just called like me, a, a, a story. person, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like then it would just it would just exist yeah. and the information would just be out there. Yeah. But like I mean I named it what it, I I named it like exactly what it says on the tin is what you get in the in the book. Yeah. Um, and I named it that intentionally because I wanted, honestly, it's because I wanted a queer teen who hadn't specifically heard of my book, who was maybe scanning a library shelf and thinking about both gender and sexuality and queerness to look at it and go like, oh, maybe there's something in this book for me. Um, yeah. And they're trying to ban it to stop that queer teen who is browsing the library shelf, who hasn't totally. even heard of the book, who hasn't seen it on NPR and whatever. Yeah. Um, to not be able to stumble across it and it's so funny though because it's literally like even if you don't know the term genderqueer it's like two buzzwords yeah, yeah, taken yeah, yeah, separately yeah yeah yeah, like, yeah. That's what's so it's yeah, like. yeah yeah i i do think that in addition to my book being an award winner i think another reason that it is challenged is the title because if yeah if you just google search books about gender and queerness it comes up pretty it's like pretty <laughs> close to the top of the list yeah. And then I also think, like you said earlier, it's because it's a comic. It's because there are images. There are images of Mm -hmm. bodies. There Mm -hmm. are, you know, there's fairly frank conversations about, like, masturbation and dating and sex experiences and also, like, a pap smear exam at a doctor. It shows bodies. It shows period blood. Like, there there are things in here that 
I think are like so important for like young people to know about. And like, I think I've told this story before, but like part of how I wrote this book is that I I was a very prolific journaler in my teen years. Mm. I reread all my high school diaries and I made a list of like every single thing that related to like gender or sexuality. And many of them at the time I wrote them, it was like, this is my deepest, darkest secret. This feels so shameful. This feels like something I could never express to anyone. Oh, that is And that list of scenes became the outline for the book. (laughs) Um, And like, I really wanted to try to unpack some of the shame that I had around body stuff that was also intermixed with gender stuff. It was like, I'm getting hit by like, Mm. you know, like just puberty hormones, but like Mm -hmm. also dysphoria, but like also queerness without any role models for this. And I really wanted to talk about all those things because those were like the, the, the major concerns of myself as a teen was like all of these topics that I felt like no one was talking about and I couldn't ask anyone about. And like, I wanted to put all of those in the book. And I think it's really important to talk about those. And like, the main page or scene that usually gets cited when people are saying this book is inappropriate is a scene of a, I was gonna you know, guess. two adult queer partners Why didn't I... and a strap on dildo. Mm-hmm. And that page, as you know from having read it, it's about consent. It is one partner saying, I am getting uncomfy with what we're doing here. It's not uh, giving me the feelings or experiences that I was hoping for. And I am asking the partner, like, can we stop what we're doing? Can we pause? I need to reconsider. Can we do something else? And the other partner says, yes, of course. And so like that is the sexiest scene in the book is about pausing in the middle of a sexual encounter to like recheck in and head in a different direction. And that's what they don't want teens. Well, to I'm read. not honestly, I'm not surprised by that at all. Only because if those were being able to pause and like gender, re- if, the, if those negotiate. were two, if that was a cis straight couple in that scene, I honestly think that I look, it wouldn't be flagged the same way because it wouldn't be I have this title. But I honestly think that would also be a problem mm. because that is where we are. Like my <laughs> my straight cis siblings did not get better information. Yeah about sex and sexuality when they were young. And I think that's something else that is true that like we don't talk about while we're talking about like yeah. the way that all this affects the queer community, which obviously we should because mm-hmm. we are also like, you know, violence is being done upon us, but violence mm-hmm. is also being done in those situations. And I, especially if it was drawn, you know, like I think mm-hmm. the same thing would apply. And I mean, what is that that book like? Go ask Alice. Like, there's like there's stuff that was banned, that is that has like mm. you know similar. Con- so it's all fucked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Judy Bloom. Um, Judy Bloom. Judy Bloom's been been banned since the late seventies and early eighties and eighties because yes. there were brief mentions of of periods in her book. Like, yeah, just the the way they're trying to like draw this like veil of shame across just totally like normal human body functions is just frustrating and disappointing and i've had a fair number of cis readers also say that they like really appreciated my book like i've had specifically cis women say like i have never seen people talk about like pap smear exams like this or like i had the same like weird nightmares and fears about periods and and you know relate to those pieces yeah, of the book even totally. if they didn't um they weren't gender nonconforming in any way and i also like one thing i do want to say is like amidst all of the like weird backlash and like lawsuit and negative attention i also receive so much love 
for this book. I receive so many like wonderful, heartwarming, beautiful like messages from readers. And even to this day, I still am getting like at least three to one, if not five to one more like Thanks for telling me that. Fan letters I, and love and I, letters and I, and than I bet the that's true. Um, awesome. And yes. So like yeah, and I I have a lot of people reach out to me about this story and say things like, this is the first book that I've ever related to. Or people will say like, there are so many ways that mm-hmm. like this story is so similar to my growing up yeah. that it is almost eerie. Or like, did you read my diary and write my memoir? And it's it's funny how specific it'll get. I have people write to me and say like, my name is also Maya. I also grew up in Northern California. I also went to Waldorf schools. <laughs> I also came out as non-binary, you know, all of these things. And I'm just like, wow. Um, I wrote this book partly because I felt so alone in my gender confusion as a teen. And as an adult, I realized that like my yeah, experiences that's are far and more Yeah, I mean, I guess it, I it really, thought. hey, we're going to end where we started, which is like, this book was recommended to me. It was the book that was given to me at a store. When I walked in the store, they said, here mm-hmm. is a book for you. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure that you're getting a lot of love and you should. And I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad that you can, you know, yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up because it is yeah. so easy to talk about the um, the other stuff. So yeah, thank you for making sure yeah, that that is yeah. part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Maya, before, I mean... Yeah. You've been lovely and thank you so much for your time and for writing this book. And um, yeah, I guess the final thing I'll say, because yeah. I didn't bring this up earlier, is like part of the, it's like the the um, pronoun adjustment is that for me, it's a, it's fluid. Like, you know, I, I identify as gender fluid and like technically mm-hmm. your book title is another word I could use if I, if that felt more, um, if, like if I liked that more, it, it's this. It's kind of this, under the same category. I like literally like looked around. You know, I was like googling around. Like, what are the mm-hmm. you know? So and it just for me, I think I liked fluid because honestly, yeah, yeah. it's because I'm a swimmer and I love the water. Um, and it felt really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, yeah. yeah, this is a book that was handed to me. Somebody looked to, looked out of their eyes and they said. Here is a book for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, so I want to ask I'm you glad. before I let you go back yeah. into your day f- to shout out a queero. This is a person, place, or thing made you feel you could be who you are today. Would you like to shout out a queero? Absolutely. I think people will not be surprised that the queero I want to shout out is the public library. Um, <gasps> I <laughs> said that yet. Um, I would say it like the public library is the first place that I found queer stories. It's the first oh, place I found awesome. queer characters. It's the first place that I found authors who really excited me because I felt like they were writing stories for me yeah. or about me. And I lived pretty rurally as a as a child and teen. Um, I didn't have a cell phone until I was in college. We didn't have a TV. We had dial-up internet. It was pretty wretched. So like the way that I mm. accessed the outside world was through books and through stories and through the library and I'm a very voracious reader and like I was reading like a hundred to two hundred books a year as a teen there's no way I could have purchased all of those with my meager 2003 teenage income and so I was able to go to the library and I was able to read as many books as I wanted check out just stacks at a time 
And in the library where I lived, the librarians made these wonderful little little bookmarks or pamphlets they put in the teen section with like suggested titles about topics they thought teens might want to know about, but might be a little shy to ask. So there was like a list, there was like a bookmark that was like queer titles. There was a bookmark that was like, if someone in your family is struggling with addiction or like, you know, sex ed, sex health, abortion resources. Right? Yeah, they were really great. And I remember as a teenager, finding that bookmark in the library was like, it made suddenly the library feel like safe safer and also like someone had left a little secret message there directly for me and i remember picking up the bookmark and being like i'm going to read every single book every every single title on here i'm going to read them and i was able to because the library had them and so um yeah shout out to the public library for making me the queer author that i am today well i mean that's beautiful and yeah that's i'm so happy you had that experience Mm -hmm. that's so awesome Mm -hmm. and look at you On a bookmark today. Yeah. On on the book yes. part of bookmark <laughs> yes, that is exactly. podcast. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, Maya. Thanks for your time. Thanks yeah. for writing this book. And thanks for everything you had to say that was um, so personal and so thoughtful. Really yeah. appreciate you. This is wonderful. Thank you.